the book of Ephesians this morning. So if you turn in your Bibles there or your smartphones, uh, it'll also be on the screen here before us. But uh, as I mentioned last week, this will be our last uh, Sunday in Ephesians. We were in Ephesians uh, kind of uh, for a significant portion throughout the summer and uh, throughout the fall semester. And then we just finished up uh, a kind of mini-series in the book of Ephesians on the armor of God. And we're coming back to finish the book of Ephesians here this morning. And then we will uh, return, as was promised years ago, uh, to the book of Exodus. Uh, we were in Exodus uh, quite a while ago. And uh, so we're going to return and finish the book of Exodus um, throughout the rest of... Uh, it'll probably take us through uh, up to summer to finish through the book of Exodus. But I'm very excited to get back into that book. Uh, but we're going to finish up uh, Ephesians this morning, and it, we're focusing on this last section of Ephesians, which is where Paul sends some greetings and some final instructions. And this is a place, if you're reading throughout the New Testament, you often probably skip these little sections because it's like, oh, Paul's saying the same thing, and he's talking to some people that I don't know their names, and I can't pronounce them, and that seems boring. Um, so we're going to focus on that because I think that there's some things actually we can learn in the midst of that about how Paul functioned and how the church ought to function for, for us in life. Well, this morning I want us to think about how many close friends do you have? How many folks in your life would you consider close friends? According to the uh, Survey Center on American Life, the number of close friends for Americans has declined significantly over the past three decades. In 1990, 71% of Americans reported four or more close friends, with 33% of those folks saying 10 or more close friends. Only 3% of Americans said that they had no close friends. Today, the story is much different. Only 49% of Americans say they have four or more close friends, with only 13% saying they have 10 or more. And a full 12% of Americans say they have no close friends. No close friends. I'm sure that the pandemic and the political upheaval of the last few years and the changes to our habits have likely contributed some to this, But the problem is very significant, and it's even more pronounced among adult men. But regardless of the reasons, I think all of us can relate, uh, all of us adults can relate to the fact that making friends as adults is more difficult than it is as kids or teenagers or even college students. It's just far more difficult to make friendships and then to maintain those friendships. And yet, it is crucially important and often neglected about maintaining friendships. And the church is not really immune to this issue. The American ideal of romantic love and the church's frequent emphasis on the nuclear family can lead to a devaluing of friendships within the church and an idolatry of marriage and the nuclear family. Now, certainly in a culture that is shifting away from the importance of marriage and bearing children— Those are important things to emphasize. The Bible talks about them. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. The Bible talks about these things. They are important things that we ought to talk about. And yet, it's important that we not also see marriage and family as the end-all, be-all of our social, emotional, and spiritual needs and slip into a subtle but powerful idolatry. 
Uh, Whitney and I saw this at work in college at times where uh, there were friends that got married and then they would just stop hanging out with people. And it was like, oh, that was sad because we liked you and you were friends. And then you stopped hanging out with people when you got married. And it can happen very quickly and subtly. God has not designed spouses or romantic connections to be the answer to all of our social or emotional and spiritual needs. The reality is, as Christians, we need friends. And we need the church to be a place to create and cultivate real, lasting, close friendships. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 21 to 24 to learn a little bit about this. All right, so Paul says this. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. First, as an aside, it's really important that the Bible uses real historical names like Tychicus, Tychicus, however you say it. Chris, you probably know how to say that better than me, right? Tychicus. Uh, The reality is it's really important that the Bible uses real names in real context because we believe these are real people and Paul was writing a real letter to a real church. Right? This is actually a great way in which we can see that the New Testament is reliable because it uses real names. If someone was to create something brand new and try to convince people of this brand new thing, using real people and real names that can be confirmed is a bad idea because you could just simply show this person isn't real. They don't exist. Why did you make up this name? Whatever it is, right? The fact that there are real historical names in the New Testament is actually really, really helpful for us. And it helps us understand some of the storyline of the New Testament, right? We just finished before Ephesians, right? We finished walking through the book of Acts. And walking through the book of Acts, you can take the letters of Paul and other New Testament letters and connect them to the storyline of the book of Acts and get a better picture of what God is at work doing. And so those places in Scripture that in your Bible reading plan that you come to and you're like, oh, this is a list of names. Good, I don't have to read today. Uh, These are actually really, really important things because they show us that God is about reaching real people. Real individuals who existed and were important. And so this Tychicus is an important character in the midst of this. But I want to focus a little bit on how Paul's friendship with Tychicus shows us a little bit of what we can do in creating friendships. And the reality is that friends bring to us embodied grace. Embodied grace. Something that we actually long for currently, given the reality of the pandemic and the way in which all of our social lives have been disrupted, we long to have embodied experiences because we are created as people in God's image and we are created as embodied people. We are meant to have connection with other people, to see other people, 
And that's what has been so challenging and difficult over the last few years is it has been hard to create safe, embodied environments. And so when Paul says, I'm sending you Tychicus, he's sending not just this letter, which is very important for the Ephesians to hear, but he's also sending a person who will come and transfer information about Paul and his companions to the church in Ephesus, but will do so in person, who will communicate, who will be present with them. He will bring them embodied grace. God will bring the grace of encouragement through people, right? Paul says, to bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent you to him, or sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Friends, bring encouragement. One of the ways in which God is at work in the world to uh, build up and secure his people is through encouragement from other people. We all know that life is very hard and there are many times in which what we need desperately is another person to come alongside us and to encourage us, to come alongside us and to give us a boost to give us a word of encouragement, to give us a a way to continue forward and to persevere in the difficulty of life. And God does this through people. Often the way that God is going to speak to you and to encourage you is through other people. This is one of the things that God gives us through the grace of friendship. God also brings an embodied grace, the grace of discipline through people. Remember, we saw this a few, uh, probably a few months ago at this point when we were walking through this book. Uh, when Paul sends Tychicus, he's also sending, remember, he's sending Onesimus with Tychicus. Onesimus is the, uh, the slave that escaped and found Paul, and then Paul is sending him back with the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Colossians, and with the letter to Philemon. And if you remember, in that sermon when we talked about God's justice, Philemon is a discipline letter, right? Paul is saying, Philemon, I really want you to do this thing for me. Now, I could tell you to do it, but I want you to want to do it, right? And so one of the ways in which uh, Tychicus is coming is he's coming to bring some discipline to Philemon, right? Loving, encouraging discipline for him to free Onesimus and welcome him as a brother. And as we saw, right, there, uh, the historical record showcases that uh, there is a person uh, who I believe becomes pastor of Ephesus named Onesimus, right? That there is this, this freedom that Philemon bestows enhances the kingdom of God. And yet it's through the discipline that Paul brings in this letter, and yet he doesn't bring it simply as, uh, as it, uh, on its own. He sends it with people. As much as we need the encouragement of friends, we also need friends who will tell us the truth when we don't want to hear it who will come alongside us and to show us where we are in error, where we are disobeying the Lord, where we need the discipline of God through his word to show us that we are missing the mark. 
if our friends only say kind things to us and not the truth to us, they are likely not our friends. They're flattering us. Friends will tell you the truth in love for sure, but they will tell you the truth. And that's what Paul does with Philemon, but he does it through Tychicus and Onesimus. They come as friends who will show up and show the grace of God in disciplining them and showing them them the way forward in truth. So if we are to build very real and lasting friendships in this place and in your life, you are going to need to encourage one another. You are going to need to speak life into people who you know, talk about the good things that God is doing in and through them and encourage them in that. And you are also going to need to tell them the truth when they don't want to hear it. They are, you are going to need to instruct them in the ways of God when they are resisting it. In grace, absolutely, and yet also in truth. It's one of the graces of friendship. It's a way in which we are able to actually speak into each other's lives. There are definitely people in your life who have more authority to speak into your life because of their friendship with you than others. There are definitely people in your life who will tell you the truth maybe more honestly than anyone else will. Those are people you need to hold on to because you will miss things. You, will, you won't be able to see everything. We all have errors and blind spots that we miss and we need the grace of other people to show us our errors and to teach us the truth and then to encourage us. So God brings the grace of encouragement through people. He brings the grace of difficult or of di- discipline through people, and he also brings the grace of mission through people. Paul describes Tychicus as a faithful helper. That word is either servant, it can be translated servant or it's the same word for deacon. Uh, Tychicus is a servant. He is serving the kingdom of God, and one of the basis for their friendship is their joint mission together. Some of the ways in which you will create the closest friends is by doing mission together. It's one of the things that we strive for very much here at City Hope is that we work out of a team effort and create friendships amongst our team. We want to be as leaders, elders, deacons, staff, And as a congregation, we want to be a team of friends doing mission together. Because that's clearly what we see in Paul. It's clearly what we see in the New Testament. Is that there is a team mindset in ministry that is working together to accomplish the mission of God. And so one of the ways that you can build friends is by doing the work of God together. By serving together. It's actually one of the things that I have heard from many of you that... We love this space so much. And we love walking in here on Sunday morning and just being able to sit down. But also, some of us still miss walking in and seeing nothing and having to tear it all down, set it all up, and tear it all down again, right? Because there was something about that moment in which we were serving together in significant ways, maybe getting your fingers all sticky on an elementary school table, or maybe pinching your finger in those 
dumb tables that would close real fast and pinch your fingers, right? Or breaking locks on the, uh, or breaking keys on the locks that were frozen on a day like today, or sliding across that parking lot. Like there were tons of really difficult things about that. And yet that mission created a sense of friendship, of camaraderie, of doing this thing together. And we need to continue to capture that same spirit frequently here. We need to find ways that we can serve together in order to build friendship and in order to produce the mission that God has for us. We've said this many times, but in the way in which God is at work in the world and in our city today, God does not care simply about accomplishing the mission, regardless of how you experience that. He cares about you deeply. And so if we are accomplishing the mission while burning up friendships, we're probably not doing it right. We actually need to be doing both of those things together. Now, at the same time, friends will bring the opportunity for growth through conflict. Through conflict. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 15, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. Boy, I would love to know what those papers were. That is real interesting. Wouldn't that be awesome to see those papers? Uh, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. Right? In the midst of a list of historical names in which Paul is describing this, what happened here, he also says, hey, this, there is real conflict here. There's very real conflict in friendship. Because we sin and we're sinned against. That will break friendships. That will break relationships. Our sin affects other people. And it will lead to distrust of one another, to pain, and to a fear of being hurt again. But here's something we can learn about how Paul does relationships. Do you see, one of the names that comes up in this list in Timothy is Mark. Do you remember in the book of Acts that Mark left Paul's ministry? We don't know why exactly, but Paul sees that as an abandonment. Barnabas, one of Paul's other companions, says, I'm, we, sh- we need to bring Mark along. Paul says, no, Mark abandoned us, and it actually leads to a split between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas takes Mark, and Paul goes off with, uh, can't remember who. He goes off with somebody. Brain's not working. He goes off with somebody. And, but, but this split happens because of some real sin and some real conflict. And yet, Mark is back with Paul. And he says, bring Mark to me because he will be helpful in my ministry. You see, there's some sort of reconciliation that happens between Mark and Paul. It's not a, hey, you hurt me in this way. You will never again be welcomed in my ministry. He talks about 
Mark as deserting their ministry. And yet here he says that Demas deserted his ministry and Alexander has done harm to him. You know what probably happened is Mark apologized, repented, and they came back together. You think Paul might write another similar place if Demas were to repent and apologize, Paul and Demas might be friends again. You see, sin breaks relationships and yet as Christians we have an answer to that. It's called repentance. Admitting our sinfulness, admitting the way we've harmed someone and repenting of it so that we can rebuild relationship. This is how it works. We are in relationship with one another. We are in conflict over something, whatever it is. And we recognize the ways in which we have sinned against other people and we repent of them. And then we move forward together. Now, that's hard, right? That's really hard. One reason it's hard is because we don't like to be told that we have sinned against anyone. (laughs) We don't really like that. Remember, that's why we need the grace of friends who will tell us the truth. It's why we need the grace of friends who will tell us the truth and show us those things. It's why we need to pray to God's Spirit to show us our sin and why we need to see, as Martin Luther said, all of the Christian life as repentance. As repentance. God is going to use people and conflicts and situations to show ways in which we, our lives, aren't in conformity to everything that Jesus asks us of. And then we repent and we move forward together. Now, here's the thing though. Sin really does hurt. And it causes a break in trust and relationships. And forgiveness of a sin done against you and trust in a relationship are two different things. You can forgive the sin that was done against you, and yet it can still take time to rebuild trust. I'm sure that when Mark repented to Paul of the way in which he deserted them, I'm guessing they didn't immediately set off again. They probably spent some time working through those realities together, and then eventually he calls for Mark to come with him. It takes time to rebuild trust. That's okay. There is very real pain that comes from being hurt in those places and distrust that comes from that. The question is what we will do with it. Often, our solution is, to the reality of conflict in friendship, our solution is uh, two things. One, we stick to surface-level conversations only. Right? It's just way easier to not deal with the junk of life if we just talk about the weather and sports, which is fun, right? It's easy. doesn't lead to a lot of conflict. We can just talk about those things. We don't actually have to talk about our deep feelings and fears, our hopes, our dreams. We don't have to talk about anything of substance. We can just stick to the surface level because as soon as we go to substance, guess what happens? We get hurt. Conflict comes up. But who do you go to when things are hard, when life actually hurts? Do you go to the friends that you only talk about surface level things with? No, the only people you can go to is anyone that you've gone to in depth. Sticking to the surface level does not work. The second way we try and do this is we go it alone. We just simply try to go it alone. And we may see We may think that Paul does the same thing, right? 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18, Paul says this. 
The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. In moments that we are tempted to not enter into the difficulty of conflict, we want to read things like this and be like, yes, this is it. I don't need anyone. All glory to Christ. He will save me. All of you people have deserted me. And yet, literally, the next verses, Paul says this, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth, and I left Trophimius sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. So maybe you weren't completely alone, Paul. See, the reality is Paul's never completely alone. Even in the midst of him being deserted to stand before the judge alone, right, in one of his trials, he still is sending greetings from those who are with him, those who have come near to him. Yes, Paul faced very real abandonment. And maybe you have too. Maybe there are specific people in your life who when you read about abandonment, read about desertion, read about conflict, hear these things, you have specific people in mind. Specific people have harmed you. And yes, that may be true. And there may be a season of time in which you are working through what it means to forgive them and then to trust them and to walk through those things. That's a very real thing. And yet you cannot see that as a reason to go it alone. We can't do this thing alone. We cannot do the Christian life alone. And we cannot do the mission of the church alone. It just simply will not work. God is at work through a people to change the world. Through a people. That means that we have to learn how to be a people together. We have to learn how to do these things together. And so the real solution is to trust Jesus and risk friendship. To trust Jesus and to risk friendship because friendship is a risk. It it means that we're going to put ourselves out there in very real ways with the potential of being hurt, which is why we need to trust Jesus. In John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. 
See that Jesus roots here. He says that for you to remain in me, you need to remain in my love and in my commandments. And what's my commandment to you? It's to love one another. It's to love one another. It's to bear with one another. It's to be present with one another. It's to be friends with one another. And how does he ground that? He says, you are my friends. You are my friends. The only way that you will be able to risk friendship is by having Jesus as your friend. Now, that can sound like a sort of trite cliche, like Jesus is my friend. There might be a song. You should look it up on YouTube. Logan and I were joking about it quite a bit this week that Logan was going to play this song for us. Uh, it's a great, it's by Sunseed. Jesus is my friend. Look it up. It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, But it can feel that way, right? It can feel like this sort of trite statement, Jesus is my friend. And yet, very really in the scriptures, Jesus says, I am calling you my friends. And how do I display my friendship with you? By dying on a cross for you. By dying on a cross for you so that your joy will be overflowing and you will have my love just as I have the Father's love. Imagine for a moment the joy and friendship of the Trinity. As we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, remember we've been looking at the way in which the triune God is at work. We've talked about the Trinity as this mysterious way in which there are three persons in one God. And imagine the joy and the friendship of the Trinity. Have you ever pondered this joy of the relationship in the Trinity? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity loving one another taking delight in one another, taking great joy in one another. How else could we describe that but friendship? And by Jesus' work on the cross, welcoming you in and the Holy Spirit indwelling you, coming to live in you, you are welcomed into the friendship of the Trinity. You're to have the joy of Jesus. What does he say, right? Be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What is Jesus' joy? He delights in obeying the Father. He delights in the Father and in the Spirit. You are given the joy of the Trinity when you become a a Christian. When the Holy Spirit is poured into your life, you get the joy of the friendship of God. The friendship of the Trinity. The Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, and the Spirit's enjoyment of the two of them. That is yours. You get to enter into that in which there has been depth for all eternity, in which there has been joy for all eternity. That is now yours, Christian. And you get to go in and enjoy that. And because of that, you get to love one another in a very real embodied way. If you are loved by the God of the universe, if he has welcomed you into the greatest friendship of all time, the friendship of the Trinity, if he has welcomed you into that, you now can risk being hurt in friendship. If you are secure in Jesus, you now, being secure in Jesus doesn't mean I go it alone now. It means I can now risk my love For others, I can now enter in and build friendship in the church. 
This friendship in the church is going to take faithfulness. Tychicus is described as a faithful brother. Friendship is going to require faithfulness, sticking it out with people in hard things. It's just easier to run away, particularly right now. There's just so many hard things happening in the world and in our culture and in our city and in our lives. It's really easy to just run away, right? You know what you can do? Just mute them on Facebook or delete them or just run away from that. Just stop answering their phone calls and texts. Stop seeing them because we don't see anyone anymore anyway, right? So just stop seeing people. Stop running. Just, you can just run away. Faithfulness is required in friendship. Being near, showing up, saying hard things, saying the right thing. It's going to require faithfulness. It's also going to require, as Jesus said, love. We are going to need to bear burdens with one another, forgive one another, and empathize with one another. Show up and love one another. Jesus says the definition of love is laying down your life for another. That's what he calls us to. In some contexts of the church, that requires actually laying down your life physically for the sake of the church. As it does around the globe in the persecuted church. Here, it absolutely requires laying down my own preferences and comforts for the sake of the good of others. I may not like something, but I lay it down because it serves another person. That's what love requires. And that's what friendship will create. It also requires peace. Working through conflict with each other. Actually dealing with it. Actually talking about it. Actually going deep with it. Actually repenting, actually forgiving, and actually moving forward. Real peace. It's not just this thing that is this pipe dream of the New Testament. Paul imagines for us, and the Lord imagines through Paul's letters for us, a community in which there is real peace in the midst of conflict. In which there is real forgiveness and joy and friendship. Now for that to happen, we need the grace of Jesus. There's no way we can do this apart from the grace of Jesus because the reality is you and I are selfish and we will break friendships for the sake of our own comfort. That's what we do, which is why we need the cross of Jesus Christ. It's why we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we need to cling to him in all things. And it's why Paul ends this letter in the way that he does. He says, peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a nice conclusion to a letter, a way that Paul just always ends his letters. What he's saying to you is Ephesians, City Hope, the only way you can do this is by God's grace. That's your only hope for building friendship. It's the only way that we can do this thing together is by clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting Him, being secure in our relationship with Him so that we can pursue one another in love and faithfulness and have the Holy Spirit do a miraculous work 
Remember, the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. He dwells in us so that he can raise from the dead things that are broken and destroyed. He has the power of resurrection. So we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is at work to give us the grace of Jesus so that we can pursue friendship with one another and ultimately enjoy friendship together with the God of the universe. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you recognizing and admitting our need. We cannot do this on our own. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your love. We need your care. We need your friendship, God. As Jesus prays for us and wants our joy to be full and us to be united as the church together, God, we pray the same thing. We pray that you would unite us, that you would, even now, God, that you would by your spirit be at work in the hearts of those here, hearing your word. God, that you would prompt those who need to forgive to forgive, those who need to repent to repent, those who need to pursue friendship to pursue it, those who are lonely to reach out, those who are loved to reach forward to care for others, God, would you just be gracious to us? And would you be at work to create us to be your people? We pray in Christ's name, amen. I invite you to stand.